Sir Balfour, the 200 Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Studio. My guest on this edition of Fangraph Studio making his weekly Monday appearance on a Wednesday. It's his weekly Monday appearance, but he's made it, in this case, on a Wednesday. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest. And on this edition of the program, unlike what he does every week, which is typically to analyze all baseball, uh, what Dave Cameron does here is to embark upon a difficult, hopefully nuanced, uncomfortable conversation. This past weekend, Oakland A's catcher Bruce Maxwell became the first Major League Baseball player to kneel during the National Anthem, a form of protest, of course, which has been embraced by many NFL players. And when Monday arrived, Cameron felt that it was difficult for him to consider addressing any topic besides Bruce Maxwell and Maxwell's actions on the weekend. And, of course, he continues to kneel uh, as we as we go on. The result here is, obviously, it is the bailiwick of most Fangraphs authors to attach any declarative statement to some sort of evidence to support their arguments with data uh, typically of a quantitative nature. That is not an option in this particular case. And yet, at a certain point, uh, circumstances demand uh, to be recognized. And Dave Cameron believes, and I also believe, that this is one of those circumstances. So what we have attempted to do is to provide a responsible conversation to ask questions out of a sense of genuine curiosity, hopefully, and to answer them very poorly. And I I would like to underscore how poorly uh, these questions have been answered. Uh, But what you have here is uh, essentially two idiots attempting to be good citizens, attempting to understand the forces that motivate all manner of people and endeavoring to include as many people in the conversation as possible. Again, as I say, it is not comfortable... It is probably not particularly well done, uh, but hopefully it is executed in a spirit of goodwill, magnanimity, and humility. Having now pontificated at sufficient length, I will now end this introduction. What is it? It is Fangraphs Studio. Who does it feature? Managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. Dave Cameron, that you would find it difficult not to address the uh, the situation regarding. I mean, mostly from this weekend. Obviously, it's been um, a concern in football, um, an issue within football for a year plus now. But um, but it would be difficult for you not to address the, the anthem situation. I mean, I think it would just be weird to have a podcast where we just pretended that it didn't happen. <laughs> like, I don't want to pretend it didn't happen. Here, can I can I tell you? Can I tell you what I'm always concerned about, right? Yeah. Because I have, like many people have, I have an, I have opinions, right? right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't – I generally believe that my opinions have very little value to anyone, including myself, honestly. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Right. And, and I, I would prefer not to have them. They happen accidentally <laughs> though, right? And so <clears throat> I have opinions about it. Yeah. And <clears throat> I w- they're the sort of things that I will discuss – with, you know, I'll burden my wife with them, for example, right. because that's her job. But frequently, like in a matter like this, of some gravity, yeah. I would typically reserve my opinion on the matter until I feel as though I have something to add to the conversation. The problem with conversations like these, which include a lot of um, yelling 
and a lot of um, there's uh, there's many you know almost everyone some part of their identity is attached to is attached to their opinion about uh, to their opinion about this matter right? right and so you're not so you i think it's it's difficult for people to have clear-headed compassionate conversations about it do you think it's possible to have a conversation about this issue without offering opinions about it so that's actually what, what the point at which i'm getting like what i feel like what i have learned and i hope this echoes sentiments that the people have from what i've taken from broadly from sabermetrics <clears throat> is it's it, it's helped assuage certain anxieties that the world presents right because you say like even if you have a bad day you on you know perhaps in in the past i might have said this uh these events all these bad events are related right but then i might say you know you know years later now i might say well a day is not a sufficient sample size yeah uh, and uh, I was you know, attacked by randomness. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I've been the victim of randomness, and uh, maybe on particularly good days, I've benefited from from fortune in in a, di- in a different way. Um, but I think that you know what I like generally about sabermetrics is generally it has invited me to apply the scientific method to um, you know to, to understand um, to understand things, but you know through that lens. And to, to ask questions and attempt to answer them, tend to answer them responsibly using some form of objectivity, right? Right. Um, so I guess the I guess the question is, uh, without raising our voices and without turning towards, um, re- you know, relying on either cliche or well trodden points. What are, what's the sort of thing that because this has occurred within the sport that that you and I watch with some frequency (laughs) (laughs) varying (laughs) levels of frequency (laughs) with varying levels of frequency what is it um and i'm curious what do you think looking at it through that lens what do you what what sort of addition can be made to the conversation that would that would benefit people yeah i mean i struggled with this monday when i was trying to write the post that ended up just being a bruce maxwell instagram where i just told people to read passing the story and give money to puerto rico like i spent hours trying to figure out like how do I say something that isn't just... I mean, it feels to me like most of the commentary on the subject, and, and frankly, most subjects these days, is either um, preaching to the choir or virtue signaling, if you want to call it that, like trying to tell the people who agree with you, hey, look, I agree with you too, I'm in the cool club, or yelling at the people who don't agree with you and trying to like um, shame them into joining your side. This seems to be like the two methods of communication that have developed over the last couple of years. I didn't want to do either of those things. Neither of those interest me. Mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of people who are listening to this podcast and read fan graphs who um, are on both sides of the divide, and that does not make them evil people, right? So like that's one of the things that I, I hope we can get away from is this idea that like if you have a differing opinion on this issue that is like a moral failure of yours. Um, and, you know, not that every side has two reasonable uh, points of views, but I think this one does. Like, to me, I think you can be a good person and come down on either side of this issue. Um, and so, you know, how do we discuss this within the framework of baseball? Not that we're just trying to, you know, generate clicks or get more podcast downloads because we're talking about something controversial, but say, look, this is a thing that's happening in baseball now. Bruce Maxwell did this the other day. We're not trying to bring this into baseball. This is now in baseball. What, you know, how do we have a conversation among people who can, um, see things from a different perspective, but also share a love of baseball 
without saying, well, I can't be friends with you anymore because, you know, you like the guy who's taking a knee, or I can't be friends with you because you don't, and you're, you're choosing the flag over a person. Whatever it is, like, how do we establish some way to have a communication about this thing that affects baseball in a real way and affecting baseball players in a real way. Bruce Maxwell's a real human being who had to make a real decision, um, and this could have a tangible impact on his career. And, um, you know, how do we how do we talk about this in a way that doesn't say, you know, if you're on one side or the other, you're out of the club? No, I will say with regard to, because uh, uh, per your, at your suggestion, I read uh, Jeff Passan's article about Bruce Maxwell, and I will say... Um, the benefit of that uh, – now, of course, to, what do I know about Bruce Maxwell? I know that uh, – I think he – actually, I think he appeared on at least one Fringe Five. I mean, he is a Fringe Five kind of guy. Yeah, right. I mean, he was – but he's like an older catcher, so right yeah, away. D- D3 college. Okay, yeah, right. I didn't even remember that. But yeah. he, th- his, he did not have necessarily have the profile that would necessarily uh, – uh, um, allow him to leap to the top of prospect lists. Yeah, but he's he's emerged in particular. He emerged as a as an older prospect, as a pretty good hitter, and one who it seems. And I haven't looked at his catching metrics, for example, but one who seems he handles uh, the staff sufficiently well to be to earn playing time. Yeah, does that sound right? Yeah. Um, and so, so you know that that's how I knew about him previously. Obviously. Um, Passon's profile um, reveals someone who, <clears throat> in in my estimation, has a particular among I mean among all humans um, uh, has a particular capacity to uh, contain multitudes to to yeah. exist with with contradictions, which is uh, which is difficult. An army brat. A mixed race kid who grew up in Alabama, right? Like this is these are not things that you normally see, right? And then on top of that, to acknowledge, to acknowledge that, and and um, obviously it's not really for me to to, to discuss this at length. However, um, having having friends who are um, biracial or mixed race, um, I do know that where a disadvantage is. Um, that uh, they may never feel comfortable around only other white kids or only other black kids. At the same time, they do develop a, a bit of a – they do develop an ability to feel comfortable where some of us feel uneasy. Right. Right, which is in, in living living with contra- contradictions, living um, in, in spaces, as I say, that are, that are uneasy for other people. So if nothing else, we have the benefit – by way of Bruce Waxel of being um, of, of becoming acquainted with someone who does seem to have a sort of magnanimity to him, which I think, if if nothing else, for those of us who follow, you know, who are primarily concerned with baseball, that seems to be a great benefit. Right. I think I think the nice thing about Maxwell is he presents um, maybe a little bit of a pushback against the. Um, the characterization of either side, right? It's mm-hmm. like, um, you know, one of the accusations has been like, oh, the people who are kneeling for the anthem don't care about the military, except for Maxwell's father served in the military. He was born on a military base. His grandfather served. Like, this is clearly somebody who does care about the military. So that particular criticism does not apply to this individual. And, we, and if we're going to find another motivation for why he's doing this, um, or, you know, potentially a character flaw where people say, okay, well, you don't care enough about the military in order to stand for the flag or whatever, that doesn't apply in Maxwell's case. So we have to uh, 
you know, come up with another incentive for his motivation to do this and look beyond just that kind of baseline assumption that anyone who's kneeling for the anthem hates the, hates the military or doesn't care about the military is indifferent to the military in some way. Um, so I think he's helpful in that regard is that he pushes past kind of the stereotype of, um, you know, all the other guys who are doing this. And I do think, like, for Maxwell being a, uh, you know, fringe major league player, it also helps a little bit. Like, I think, um, you know, Adam Jones has spoken out about racial issues in baseball before, but if it was someone like Jones who, you know, has already made a lot of money in baseball, is a pretty well-established all-star, um, you know, a very good player, it would have been easier for a guy like Adam Jones to do it than a guy like Bruce Maxwell because he just has less to lose, right? Like, um, you know, there's no way Maxwell can't look at Colin Kaepernick not having a job in the NFL and say, like, that could be me, right? If the blowback goes against me, if, if the league isn't supportive, if my teammates aren't supportive, it's not that hard to see, you know, a 26-year-old backup catcher who, you know, didn't have a prospect pedigree get non-tendered the next time he hits 150 and then no one signs him and then he's out of baseball and his career ends basically before it begins. So I think from from the aspect of, like, it cost Maxwell something or it potentially could have cost Maxwell something, I think it's helpful that it it was a more more of a, um, a low-end player than some established star who didn't have as much to risk. You know, we have... Uh, <clears throat> um, we actually... Um this might be of some benefit. Is uh, what was it? I think last week, David Lorla uh, wrote a piece, one of his players' view pieces, where um, he's able to, you know, extract comments from. I think in this case, it was ten different players. Um, yeah. He it was a, a sort of an interesting setup. The way he created was um, he had I think at, at one point he, he had uh, read some comments by Angels prospect Joe Adele. Yeah. <clears throat> um, to the to the effect that uh, it was important to Adele. Uh, an African American himself to uh, to serve as a, a positive role model, I suppose for everyone, but in particular for y- younger African American players, right? Right. Laura asked um, a number of players, most of them black as well, uh, not just players, coaches, to um, what advice they would have for Adele to um, to uh, you know re- to be able to to do that and. Something emerged, and and I think that this is, I, I is, this is probably the case in across sport. Although I think it's particularly pronounced in baseball, which is in in baseball, uh, there is it seems to be that um, one has the sense that he should not speak up until his play on the field warrants it. Do you right. do you get that sense? Absolutely. There's no question there's like kind of a, an ethos of like, it, it's maybe fading a little bit, but it has been in baseball, like, until you earn your spot, you don't talk. Right, yeah. And I think, uh, let's see, Mookie Betts, for example, said his first suggestion would be to play the game the right way. Yeah. I understand you don't necessarily have to be a vocal leader. Playing the game the right way is how you'll you'll get seen more than blah, 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 dot, dot, dot. Uh, you don't want to be that vocal guy who doesn't show it on the field. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, that must just be... Uh, and I assume what it's, I mean, all these are sort of based on precedents set by the entire collection of players to come before. Um, but uh, it's an, I guess what, it's an older game. It's one that's more strongly tethered to, tra- to tradition. So there's a bit more of a sense of um, what having to, having to, to find your spot. I don't, this is just a very much a, a hypothesis, Dave Cameron. Yeah, I mean, I think, that, like, we, you know, there's an elephant in the room, too. It's not just tethered to tradition. It's tethered to white tradition, right? Like, 
Black Panthers weren't allowed in Major League Baseball until the 40s. Like, this isn't that long ago. Um, So the history of baseball is, you know, 140 years old, and the history of black players in Major League Baseball is 70 years old. Like, um, so a lot of kind of the things that have been put in place since the 1870s, when when baseball kind of began, um, are white-only traditions. And I think, you know, it's unquestionable at this point. that there's a little bit of a culture war going on in baseball. And uh, we've seen it with, you know, Madison Bumgarner and, um, you know, some of these guys who are trying to police the way they see as the the game playing played the right way. And then you have guys, um, generally the Latino players, who are um, saying, hey, look, you know, maybe that's how baseball is played here, but that's not how it's played where I'm from. And, you know, what's wrong with the way that we play the game? Like, why is that not the right way to play when we play with energy and passion and excitement? And, um, you know, maybe you don't like it, and maybe it's not your culture, but this is our culture, and it's a baseball culture. Why do we have to assimilate into your culture? And so I think it's an interesting... Um, I mean, baseball, you know, pretty clearly has a culture issue going on um, that they're trying to figure out internally. The players are trying to, you know, figure out how to coexist with these different cultures um, where you have, you know, essentially locker rooms full of, like, white southern guys hanging out with a lot of Latin guys. And, like, it's, it's, it's not all that. It's but. not – it's not – it's two demographics which, generally speaking, you would not expect to, to be brushing up against each other. At least not working together, right. yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like what they can uh, agree been, on – Barbecue, maybe, and <laughs> right, but uh, maybe not even because right because like barbecue in the South is very different than barbecue in uh, Latin cultures. Yeah. <laughs> They're not the same thing at all. Uh, I guess they both like to cook whole pig, but, uh, <laughs> but that's about that's about can, the end of it. Pork, pork is the great. <laughs> right, yeah, pork is except pork for is like if for there's also world. some Jewish. Uh, right. Jewish players on the team. Then, uh, <laughs> right. Gabe Kapler's over there. Like, get rid of your whole pig. <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting that, like, you know, baseball already has kind of an ongoing cultural issue um, in, in how players relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And then you have a guy like Maxwell who comes in who kind of represents a little bit of, you know, a third culture that isn't very well represented in baseball but is a significant culture in America. Um, what I think they said, like, there are 65 or something like that African-American players in Major League Baseball right now out of, like, whatever, with 40-man rosters expanded, we're over 800. Like... This is not very many. This is not a large club of African American players, and that's decreased considerably. I think from what from, from well, I guess pr- progressively, right? I mean, it's been yeah, higher right. than that in the, the past, right? So, so baseball has like this underrepresented class of athletes. Obviously, um, you know, other sports have significantly more. Uh, you can argue why that is, uh, but it, it's a true thing that this is a significant portion of America that's underrepresented in Major League Baseball, um, and it's something that I think baseball has at least stated that they want to work towards and, and work towards repairing. And, you know, they have the RBI program. They're trying to make it, um, at least on the surface, they're trying to make it easier for, for inner city kids to get into, and that's not, that's a terrible term anyway. It's like, I apologize for using inner city. I, I hate that term. Uh, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use for, you know, young African-American kids to um, get to Major League Baseball, they're trying to rectify that. And Maxwell, at this point of baseball, having a culture war between effectively white Southern guys and Latinos, is kind of standing up and saying, look, here's another issue that has to affect us that we have to deal with. And I think it will be interesting to see how Major League Baseball as a whole responds um, I mean, obviously the NBA and NFL have already responded, mm-hmm. but Maxwell being the only guy to kind of take a stance on this, um, I think is um, kind of telling of where baseball's at right now. Um, and it will be interesting to see how the league and, and the teams themselves decide to um, approach this issue, given that 
it ties into, um, you know, other concerns they've had in terms of, you know, not just on the field, but like there's what, one or two black managers now. I think Dave Roberts is maybe the only one. Um, Dusty um, Baker, I think, yeah. Oh, Dusty Baker, right. So we have two black managers. Um, there's no black front office GMs or president team presidents. Like, um, you know, so I think, you know, this is an issue that baseball is trying to confront. Um, and, and isn't something that they can necessarily afford to shy away from. Yeah, I guess it's it's a bit surprising to me because on the one hand, baseball has sort of served as a, a medium for, or it, you know, it has certainly been um, has benefited from, or or certainly teams have benefited from the infusion of of um, innovation at some level, right? For, um, right. At, at an intellectual level. That, um, you know, it perhaps because of the nature of the game and that it's, um, what do they call it? Not stop action, but turn, turn-based game. Yeah. Um, that perhaps it's, it's easier to measure the, these sorts of things than it is in, in basketball or football, for example. But it has benefited from, um, f- from the work that's being done on the frontiers, right? And from, yeah. and not that, not that that, not that it's always been, a, a peaceful transition from more traditional to more innovative methods. It's it it seems to it seems pretty clear that you know that innovation has uh, certainly benefited clubs and certain players, etc. <clears throat> and I know, for example, you know when I, I speak with Travis Sochik, uh every couple of weeks, and I think this is in, this is his great fascination with the game. Right? Is the is the way uh, that it's been innovated? I think I you know I was writing yesterday if. Uh, if there was not a change in uh, in swing, you know, if there was not a swing uh, a swing change in effort to get the ball in the air, you know, Travis would have only written like three articles since <laughs> since March or something. I mean, you know, that's in. But he, but I think that it's because he regards that as sort of the, you know, one of the frontiers of the game, and that's interesting to him. I I suppose that one of the challenges, something that I uh, would be very quick to state that I don't understand, is why. Why that sort of um, wild embrace of innovation? I don't know if it's why has not necessarily extended to um, has not necessarily extended to, for example, issues of identity. You know, um, personal identity, um, political identity, <clears throat> and um, I I know that uh, of course uh, you you've pointed this out before, but I I happen to live in Maine, right. where. Um, I mean, there's certainly. Uh, I mean, you know, every place has its its own issues along this, but I probably am uh, not party to them with the same frequency yeah. or depth. I, mean, I, I live in Bend, Oregon. We're two white guys talking from two yeah. of the whitest places. Right, right, right. But I think it's still it's still the idea is like how do you know what questions uh, should we be asking? And I mean, I don't feel I don't, I don't feel like I can be an agent of change if that makes sense. Maybe that's a wrong inclination, but um, but I don't necessarily feel like that that's an avenue that would be open to me so i think that's interesting and and you know at the at the risk of like you know i've done my best to try to not alienate a significant part of the fangraphs audience because i don't think that there's any real benefit to chastising or demonizing people who just disagree with you on this issue Mm -hmm. um but i will say that i I, i'll disagree with you on that point and that i do think um, as a white guy, I feel some obligation to be an agent of change because we have the ability to change things in a way that those who aren't white guys mm-hmm. 
don't have that ability, right? Like we have some inherent power in baseball because we're not you and I aren't the ones who run it, but like our our class of people uh, is kind of in charge of Major League Baseball, and if we don't change it, it's not going to get changed, right? And so I think we have some responsibility, and I, and I would hope that like um, white Major League Baseball players um, see this as well. Like I know Mark Conha talked about how he wanted to stand with Bruce Maxwell and kind of support him. Um, and I would hope that, like, this doesn't have to just be only the 65 black players are going to kneel for the anthem or, you know, do whatever it takes to say, hey, look, we're together in this. But that, you know, perhaps some of the um, more socially conscious white players would say, yep, we're in this too. And this isn't just going to be a, you know, drawn on racial lines thing, but we're going to, we're going to stand with our teammates. We're going to stand with, you know, even our opponents, and we're going to say this is an issue that needs to be needs to be addressed. And so, um, I do think that, you know, while you and I personally don't have the power to change the culture of Major League Baseball, I hope that white men in general don't just say, "Well, this one's not on me." Yeah, no, no, I think that's uh, that's sensible. Um, okay, do you feel like we've addressed it as we've honored it in the way? I mean, do the best it can. It can be honored, or uh, and also yeah. the way that, like, you know, the the, to- the tools at our disposal in particular. Yeah, I mean, I, so I will say, like, um, I didn't have like a prepared speech or anything, but I know I, when I told you, I was like, we should talk about this. I at least had it in my mind of like, you know, a point that I wanted to get across was, look, if, it doesn't matter what side of the issue you're on on this, like. We welcome you as Fangraphs readers and listeners, and I don't think you should be ostracized from the baseball community, regardless of what you believe. Like, I do think that baseball should be a unifying um, thing, where we can share things together. Like, one of the great things about sports and, and baseball is that we can say, look, I don't, I don't need to ask you your politics. I don't need to ask you... Uh, you know, what you think of me on all these other issues. We can sit here and we can enjoy this game together and having time spent together with people who aren't like us is one of the things that breaks down racism and hatred and, you know, like, oh, I just enjoyed a baseball game with this guy who's not like me. Maybe he's not a terrorist, right? right? So, like, I don't think we should be trying to fracture the baseball community into, I'm going to hang out with only those baseball fans who think like me on all these other issues. I don't mm-hmm. think that's helpful. I don't think it works. Um, so I do, th- I do hope that people who, um, you know, potentially see things differently than us wouldn't say, okay, well, that's a, those crazy leftists. I'm not going to go read fan graphs anymore. Um, cause we, you know, I want to get to know baseball fans of all, um, all backgrounds and get to know, you know, their perspective as well, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. At the same time, I do think, um, it's important to not just say, okay, well, because we don't want to offend anyone in our audience, we're just going to hope this goes away. Like, I don't think that's a, um, we don't. Right. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like you know, I think this is a real issue about baseball. We're baseball writers. This is something that we need to address. And you know, if you're, I know there was a large portion of the people who were just like, I just came here for baseball analysis. I don't want this crap. I could turn on NBC or you know read the. Well, it, well, I think the talk, point is it's, it's actually kind of it's difficult at this point to um, not to find not to find or to to, to escape the. Uh, I don't know if this is the exact word I mean, but the politicization of anything. Um, and I guess, like, yeah. in in some way, I feel I, I'm not sure that uh, the version like like me from ten years ago would have agreed. But at some point, I feel like you know, 
you have to yeah sometimes you just have to deal with it you don't get to you don't get to participate yeah. in you don't get the, the the luxury of of escapist activities all the time you know right yeah i mean it, it right the idea that we should just be able to say like i don't want to talk about that that's that's why this is happening because we didn't want to it talk is, about yeah, it it is interesting so long, right the, like, uh, i guess i suppose the the ebb and flow of of um of democracy um and maybe it's beyond yeah. democracy but um the the fact like it, even if you choose not to pr- participate in it sometimes it will it will make you participate <laughs> yeah that's it right yeah you yeah right like it's coming for you whether you like it or not this is not a conversation that we can just be like well i don't want to have that conversation um because like the nation is having this conversation and we can't just right. pretend that you it's know it's a, uh, so i think actually one sort of um note along um the, the, the relevant to this <clears throat> um that i think might also um um, sort of get, get closer to what might be regarded as our bailiwick, which is um, the use of numbers, um, so that we don't have to talk about our feelings. Is, um, <coughs> is I, I know that. Let's see. This was uh, this was tweeted out by Patrick Wyman, um, who has uh, several publishing credits. Um, and, but I think this was maybe I think it was from the Washington Post. Maybe he writes for the Washington Post. Um, but it was a look at because obviously, um, in particular. By means of the work of Nate Silver, but also others, the the art and science of polling, I think, has probably um, attracted um, quite a bit more attention than than it had previously. Um, and, and certainly, yeah. it's certainly if you sort of augment that with um, the way that uh, we discuss baseball, for example, you start to see you know you start to see similar themes, like this idea of um, of uh, you know sample sizes and <clears throat> margins of error, etc. Uh, Wyman tweeted out poll numbers uh, regarding um, approval ratings uh, for um, <clears throat> um, of various uh, protest strategies or specific protests from from the civil rights movement, right? And these these are sort yeah. of events which. You know, if you're going to school in America in the last 20 years, or certainly when I was in elementary school, um, these are sort of things that you regard as like um, unequivocally good. You know what I mean? You're like, I mean, no, right. yep. I'm sure there are people out there who um, continue to speak ill of of Martin Luther King Jr. But he, he has a, right. essentially like he is he's a kind of a um, like a secular saint in the United States, right? Uh, yeah, he has ascended right. to that level. Well, uh, for example, in 1961, these polls were conducted by Gallup in May and June of 1961. There's a question, do you yeah. approve or disapprove of what the Freedom Riders are doing, right? These are sit-ins uh, right. occurring, yeah. I think, probably in yeah. Alabama. I apologize if that's wrong. And only 22% of people approved. 61% of people right. disapproved. Um, same thing. Yeah. It's very similar numbers for sit-ins at lunch, uh, lunch counters. Which are now regarded as a, you right. know a staple of the civil rights movement and peaceful protesting, fewer right. than thirty percent regarded them as helping the civil rights movement. And then, um, yeah, what are your feelings about? And this is 1963. What are your feelings about the march on Washington in August of 63? And uh, only and um, only 23 percent of people had a favorable opinion, where 60 percent had unfavorable. Um, but I suppose what what that reveals is, uh, I mean, obviously because we have like we have the numbers right here. Is that is that these um, 
how we perceive an event in the moment or how the public at large perceives one event um, is not can bear very little resemblance to how it's remembered by posterity. Yeah, absolutely. I think at the, you know, again, at the risk of like <laughs> having an opinion on this, I will, <laughs> I will suggest like, um, one of the things that has frustrated me most about this conversation is kind of how quickly it shifts from the thing being protested mm-hmm. to the method of protest. And to those who are really upset by the method of protest, um, I would suggest or ask, consider reflecting internally and saying, um, if they were protesting this issue in a different way, would I have, would I really have different feelings about it? If instead of kneeling for the anthem, they were, you know, choosing to do it in some other way that you felt wasn't disrespectful to the flag, but they were still kind of in, they were forcing you to confront the issue that they were, they're trying to bring to your attention, would you always find fault with the method of the protest just because you don't actually like the thing they're protesting? I think it was, um, uh, uh, maybe one of the NBA commentators on ESPN, there's a clip going around Twitter, it's like five and a half minutes long, and he brings up the salient point of um, if someone was taking a knee for the anthem and they came out and said, what I'm really protesting here is like our military members and our veterans come home and the VA is a disaster and so many of them have mental health issues and they end up unemployed and on the streets and like I'm protesting for them because they went and fought for our country and you know, they're not being taken care of and we're doing a disservice to all of our armed service veterans. If that was what they said they were protesting, would anyone really be mad about them? Like, or whatever, just be like, what a great issue. Good job bringing this to our attention. Um, so when people, when people say I'm, I'm fine with what they're protesting, but I don't like how they're protesting, I would just ask, like, be honest with yourself. Are you really upset with how they're protesting or do you just not like the issue that they're bringing? Yeah. It's complicated. It's difficult. Yeah. It's it's not an easy thing and I don't want to, you know, I'm certainly don't want to yell at someone and say like you're an idiot if you believe otherwise. Like I think this is the kind of thing where people should be able to have a real discussion um and not feel ostracized from the community for for believing a a different way. Um but at the same time, I don't want to just, you know, say like, well, let's not talk about that because it's uncomfortable. It's supposed to be uncomfortable and we make progress by having uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's also something uh, with which I've become, and, I, and again, I don't know if this comment is of any value to anyone, uh, but it's, it's something with which I've become more comfortable as I get older, and uh, you just realize that that's how that's how things uh, that's how things unfold. Yeah. Hmm. If if everyone avoided the uncomfortable, we would still have slavery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'd still have other things too. Yeah, right, uh, yeah. we'd have lots of bad things. But like, that's <laughs> one that hopefully everyone agree listening to this. Like, if you're pro slavery and listening to this, I don't actually care about offending you. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, uh... Uh, yeah. All right. Well, listen, Dave. That's already a half hour. Okay. Um, we didn't talk any baseball, really. Well, we did, or did, or we? Well, talked I mean, about right. We talked yeah. about baseball at large. But... I think it's. I think again. I think it's still. I I I would I would like to emphasize that. One one of the the qualities that you know, has always attracted me to sort of this type of analysis of baseball, the sort of that occurs at the site, is that is that it's possible to present an argument dispassionately, right? Yeah. And as long as it is, and as long as it is, um, you, you know, supported 
um, su- sufficiently, uh, then it's then it's difficult to take any issue with the point being made. And I think that that um, for someone like me, I know it, I think that um, that's there, there are obviously points you can make here, but because it because it does um, because there's so much um, I, tribalism involved in, in it and because people's identities are so determined, it's it's difficult to avoid confrontation uh, yeah. yeah I think um, and so I, I think that that's what makes it uh, difficult and I hope I hope it, I hope that one person is like oh yeah that's a good point um, because I feel like there might be 99 that are like mm, I don't care about <laughs> you at all <laughs> it's alright yeah. I'll say this is one of those instances where if we like if we at least invited a few people to the conversation who might have been sitting it out otherwise, even if we didn't, I don't know, like, I'm not under any illusion that we're going to change anyone's mind on this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people are pretty entrenched on these issues. But if we can get someone to participate in the conversation, I'm okay that, like, 95% of our audience might not have liked this episode. Okay. All right. I, I was thinking about titling it something to the effect of uh, um, discussing the anthem issue or attempting to dis- – this is very long. You, you know, as you know – uh, as the editor of the site, you know that I'm uh, I'm not the worst at titling posts, but I'm not the best either. <laughs> Should we talk about who's the worst at titling <laughs> no, posts? No, we don't have to do that. Uh, <laughs> we can do that on another podcast. Uh, something like along to like uh, attempting to attempting to to what? No, but attempting a lot of times the gerund first is not good. What would you say? How would you? What would be your your suggestion? So, uh, we're dis- Dave Cameron analyzes all black people. <laughs> No. Discussing the anthem <laughs> responsibly. How to discuss the how to? Um, no, because I don't think we told people. No, how to I don't do think it. we did. Uh, and that sounds condescending. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Two white guys discussing race. <laughs> Are these also not good? At <laughs> That's not good either. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I'll I'll give it some thought. We'll yeah, give it some thought before we publish. Well, we'll see. I suppose it will be all be will be revealed. Uh, all right, Dave Cameron. Uh, well, I suppose uh, if we tried and failed, uh, then at least we were attempting to do something good with our time. Um, um, but for the moment, Dave, allow me to say uh, thank you for joining me on Fangraphs Audio. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. That has been uh, Dave Cameron, Managing Editor of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.